So this is going to air the day before Valentine's Day. So I thought it would be fun to have a Valentine's theme, but kind of turn it on its head a little bit. Yes. You know, Valentine's is all love and relationships and hope and all of that stuff. But, you know, all red heart stuff. But what happens when red hearts turn black? Interesting things happen. And everything goes bad. You get some interesting stories. So it's pure coincidence that this episode of More Later is our 14th episode, and it happens to be the Valentine's episode. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. So I dug up a few interesting stories about love, and I figured that we would tell some love stories here. And then later on, I have a list of love songs to match these love stories why don't why don't we uh we haven't discussed how we want to do this but why don't we maybe between each story you can do a song or just if you have a song that fits as we're doing a story or Hmm. whatever or i don't know we can figure out how we do it if you just want to i think i'll just rattle them off i i tried to uh make a top 10 list not top 10 because that's it's so hard there's millions of songs and so i wrote a bunch down that i think are love is a subjective term and i like dark love Mm -hmm. and like touchy-feely love is good too but in music (laughs) i like love songs that make you want to cut your wrists (laughs) jump out of a window because that's love too (laughs) well before we get into any of this though let's talk about this phenomenon that you don't remember but i remember from for sure middle school possibly high school too where in the week or two before valentine's day we would fill out these surveys of our interests and like answer questions and stuff And then either, I think on Valentine's Day, we would get these reports back that were individualized for us, personalized for us, that would then give us the top like 10, five or 10 people of the opposite sex in our grade with whom we were matched. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this like last week, not on here, and and I still have no recollection of I, it. I, I mean, this this sounds like a precursor to Match.com yeah, at, at yeah. Little Creek Middle School or Yeah, something. and that's, that's, I mean, I'm sure, I know we have a couple of people that we went to school with that remember or that listen to this, and I'll be interested to see if they remember. If, if you remember, let us know. But I, Jog my memory. I vividly remember looking at my list and, like, you would hope that like you would have quote good people on your list you know and just the excitement every year of getting this it wasn't just like a one-time thing i remember it numerous years doing this then brett opened his his up and saw brian crawl on (laughs) his list and the rest is history (laughs) the other thing that i had forgotten about but i was reminded um of the other day, Ben had 
uh, an or- my son had an orchestra competition at Munster High School, a nearby high school, and they had signs up for buying a carnation for your valentine oh okay and you could buy you for like a dollar i think you could right. buy one they and, had that in right middle school i do school, remember right? that yeah. but then they they still had which i was surprised for two dollars you could have it delivered secretly whoa and i just thought i'm surprised that still exists did you did you ever participate in that hell no i didn't yeah, participate I didn't in that either. like no. you think you knew me in high school. Why I would know, you think I would have participated in something Because it like would have been in secret. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I would have done it in yeah. secret. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would have done it in secret. I would not have put myself on the line enough to buy a girl a heart or a, a carnation. flower, yeah. a carnation. Yeah, no. Like, you're just opening yourself up for rejection. Rejection and ridicule, and that's and like, why we didn't date in high school. Yeah, <laughs> if you like her and she doesn't like you, yeah. Oh God, it's oh God, I can feel the dread coming on right now. I know I'm having flashbacks. I got it. We should have drank in high school. It would have made it a little bit better, probably. At least you wouldn't have felt the dread as much. But so anyway, the carnation thing still happens at least at one school. Um, all right. Do you remember Lorena Bobbitt? Absolutely. Okay. Now, the easy thing to do would be to just tell the Lorena Bobbitt story. But we probably, you guys probably all know Lorena Bobbitt. But this is the OG Lorena Bobbitt, okay? All right. Back in 1907, okay? Let me tell you a little story. There's always somebody who did it before right there there might and with anything she might not be the original either because as long as there have been men and women and sharp things and penises there there's a chance that this might have happened but this was an early one that i could find so 1907 we have this guy named frank baronda who's a fire captain in san jose and he's kind of a shady dude and he has a, a history of disappearing for long stretches of of time. I like him already. And, and like for no reason or for not telling his wife what's going on. So in 1907, he spends a few days in Oakland and his wife remains at home. And his wife begins to worry after he's not home for a little while that he's going to desert her and that maybe he's going to move back to the home country of Mexico mm-hmm. and just leave her. So... After he finally returns to their home in San Jose, she gets angry and says, do you still love me? And Frank's response was to demand sex. Okay. He he doesn't really answer. He just demands sex. Now, a newspaper account from back then said Frank made a vile request. Now, this is 1907. Maybe just sex was the vile request. Or maybe Frank... You know, wanted to do something a little... Like, maybe he is the originator of the Blumpkin. (laughs) Could that be it? (laughs) We have the OG Lorena Bobbitt and the OG Blumpkin, possibly. Good Lord. Look it up if you don't know what it is. Anyway, Frank's vile request sent Bertha into a rage. So she grabs the nearest... 
sharp instrument, which just happens to be Frank's straight razor that he uses for shaving. Oh, I don't like this. And he, she takes it to Frank's penis. <sighs> now, straight razors are sharp, I know, and but they're designed for shaving. Right. And, like, I know you have to be careful so you don't, like, cut yourself, but they're, de- they're still designed for shaving, not, like, cutting off penises. So I can't I, – I, my question is, like, how hard it probably is to cut this thing. I mean, not that it's ever going to feel good to have your penis cut, but, like, a straight doing it with a straight razor just sounds, like, extra horrific to me. But the fact that she was able to do it, probably insinuates that it was somewhat sharp. Right. Because if you're hacking at it with something dull, it's always better to use a sharp knife. If you're hacking at it with something dull, it's not like Frank's just going to lay back and let you do it, you know? Like he has to be rock hard also, right? It's I don't know. I... It depends how sharp it is. That's what I always. Wonder. I mean, maybe he, maybe he, maybe he was all charged up from his vile request. Right. Yeah. Hard. Hard would be easier to cut off, right? Because of the target area. Uh, and yeah. It's like standing up. If yeah. It's, probably so. If it's <laughs> taken on turtle formation, I mean, there's just you've got to yank it, hold it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of work. Yeah. So, anyway, you know, Frank's a fire captain, and they actually they live next door to the firehouse where Frank worked. So he hobbles over there, screaming in agony. And Bertha, who hadn't gotten much sleep lately because she was so worried about Frank, it, she's, she puts on, evidently, in her weeks looking for Frank, she had borrowed her brother's suit to dress up as a man to spy on Frank. So she puts on this suit and makes a getaway while Frank goes over to the firehouse to get some treatment for his severed penis. Frank's firefighter buddies take him to the Red Cross. They get him all bandaged up. He recovers. Um, no word on whether they were able to attach little Frank or not, but or whether he was like entirely cut off or what. But Anyway, she couldn't get she didn't get away for long and the police found her on a bicycle and she was still wearing the men's suit and she was taken to jail. So of course, you know, a trial follows, which became a sensation because you can't cut off a guy's penis and not expect it to be sensationalized. You know? Right. That's why I think maybe this is one of the first ones because any time this happened, it it would, you know, people are gonna be talking about Lorena Bobbitt a hundred years from now, because it's a hell of a story. So Bertha was charged with mayhem, <laughs> which is actually the crime that she was trying. It even says so on her mugshot, which I'm going to post her mugshot. There's a few different mugshots of her. And in one of them, it's like the most kick-ass mugshots I've ever seen. In one of them, she's wearing this awesome hat that has a bow on it that's like a foot a foot high. It's, it's awesome. Was... Was she wearing that with a suit or no? I think was it was the, a I think it was a lady's hat. Okay. So and and this is a couple of different mug shots. This okay. they weren't all right when she was arrested. It looks like you know over time they were taken for the same thing. But in all the shots, one thing is particularly clear: she looks pretty damn pleased with herself. 
She looks like she's thinking triumphant. Yeah, like yes. I told him not to, and he did. So this is what I did, and she, she looked like she would be celebrated hardcore today. Right. Like people would be like, they they'd really be impressed by her. But anyway, mayhem is. I have the actual quote here. Mayhem is the charge for quote. A person who unlawfully and maliciously deprives a human being of a member a member of his body or renders it useless or cuts or disables the tongue or puts out an eye or slits the tongue near nose, ear, or lip or penis, apparently. That's mayhem. That is mayhem. So Bertha, during the trial, testifies that she found numerous letters to Frank from numerous women, one of whom was the daughter of his first wife, which evidently wasn't his own daughter. Right. But the daughter of his first wife, which she said was... Was banging him? Well, she said it was romantic in nature. Okay. But that was all she said. Now, speaking of Frank's first wife, his first wife tried to kill herself by drinking chloroform. Oh, that... The yeah, the, the like, like murder stuff. Out. Yeah, on the yeah. I've always wanted to make that. I I, <laughs> I am I am so f- fascinated by chloroform. Not to the point where I've tried to make it because I'm just not chemically sound. <laughs> um, but but I saw it in the movie Cloak and Dagger. I've never even heard of that. Uh, yeah, uh, it has um. Um, oh, God, what's that guy's name? Uh, Dabney Coleman. Okay. Okay. And this... Dabney Coleman. Uh, and this... Uh, this lead, this old lady with three f- fingers on one of her hand chloroforms the kid. And I remember watching it thinking, like... Wow, that like handkerchief knocked him out. It, it just <laughs> right. had this liquid on, and and it's and it's just so fascinating. Yeah, I think. Well, be to, be careful. Yeah. She might have had five fingers before she made the chloroform. Well, she wants to couple right, in the right, process. Right. So, but anyway, when asked why she tried to kill herself, she said that Frank was cruel and abusive. So this wasn't the greatest guy. Now she's obviously confused because. Instead of drinking the chloroform, she should have, like, waited till he slept. And if he's cruel and abusive, like, take care of him with the chloroform. Yeah. Like, take care of him. But yeah. that's not what she did. There's also a story that was going around about Frank was arrested for voter fraud. Okay. He and another fire captain were arrested a few months before. And they were released. But then there was some more talk that they might be arrested again. And that was another reason why Bertha thought that maybe Frank was going to take off to Mexico. But I don't know. But anyway, she didn't mount, mount much of a defense. She said that she did it and she wasn't sorry, which is just badass. Like, yeah, right. I did it. What are you going to do to me? Uh, but that she did say she didn't remember doing it and that she blacked out after, Frank, after she asked if Frank loved her. And she didn't remember anything after that and didn't remember the mayhem that she caused. All right. So, you know, unsurprisingly, she was found guilty and sentenced to five years in San Quentin. But she was released after serving around two years, a little less than two years. Now, it's no surprise that they divorced. Shocking. And each of them remarried. Frank 
being the Casanova that he is, found somebody else to marry him. But Bertha must have found an, a nicer guy because there were she married she was married a long time after that, and no stories about that guy's penis getting cut off. So wow, it looks like she hit the jackpot on her second on her second marriage. Now, you would think that might be the worst wife that we're going to tell you the story of. No, not at all. But no. It would be the worst wife, the worst wife, if somebody named Rebecca Copin didn't exist. Okay. Rebecca Copin, Virginia, 1835. We're going old school again on this. Okay. So this all comes from a trial that was held because of what Rebecca did. And, well, we'll get to that. Anyway, Rebecca had a violent temper. And she had numerous violent fights over the years with her husband, John, practically from the day that they were married. But something must have went right because they, they evidently got it on a lot because they ended up with six kids. So back in those days, you know, divorce was a last resort. So John, John actually ended up the reason this all came out was because John wanted a divorce. So they had to have a trial to see whether his divorce would be granted. So you know that things must have gone bad if John finally resorted to divorce. But, okay, so let's start off with the tame stuff. John repeatedly, or Rebecca repeatedly left John and the kids for days at a time without reasonable cause, which was something that wives and moms just didn't do back then. But even worse, she didn't get his permission before leaving. Ooh. We can't have that. That's back, a big no-no. Back in 1835, Uh-oh. no wives are leaving without their husband's permission. That's a crime. So, um, so you know, maybe that was the problem. Maybe, like, Rebecca was too independent, and, you know, if, if it happened today, maybe they'd be, maybe things would have been different for him. You know, it was just the applying those puritanical values to Rebecca was the problem. So maybe they would be, they would be fine, right? But... Maybe not. Leaving without John's permission was the least of Rebecca's craziness. S- some of which, if you did it today, would still be crazy. Rebecca had threatened to shoot John on numerous occasions. Now, I don't know. Not only did she threaten to shoot him, but she actually like prepared to shoot him a few times. With a muzzle loader? That, that, that's what I was going to say. Like, 1835 shooting is a lot different. Like, today all you got to do is, like, you know, put a bullet in there and, like, that's it. You're done. But back then, I, I don't know what it took, but it took some gunpowder and, like, pressing things and pushing things. Right. And, like, I don't know. But it's more than just, like, raising a gun and shooting. But um, quite quite an ordeal, I'm sure. But, uh, so shooting someone wasn't a nonchalant act and preparing to do it, like, you know, that kind of implied that it was more than just a threat. Now, but, you know, Rebecca had her good points. Like all good wives of the day, and apparently bad wives of the day, she made John's coffee. But she had a little problem, a little mix-up, where she meant to grab the sweet and low, I'm sure, and instead she grabbed arsenic. 
All right. <laughs> because it's in our pantry back in 1835. That's right. Got me some sweet and low and some arsenic. <laughs> just don't mix them up. Just don't mix. Now, I don't know what arsenic looks like. I just assume that it looks like it's, every poison I assume is a white powder. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, so, but anyway, John had evidently a pretty keen eye and saw the arsenic in his cup and didn't drink it. But he did knew. have a skull and crossbones <laughs> right, there. Right, right. Did he say, "Oh shit, Poison. I can't drink this." Right. So, I mean, you know, it's pretty impressive that he could see arsenic. But I guess it probably also helps that your wife is crazy and trying to kill you, so you're right. probably always on high alert. But, um, but Rebecca was persistent, and when she, when the arsenic didn't, it's work, good coffee. I swear. <laughs> when the arsenic didn't work, she tried a different approach. And got some boiling water and dumped it on his leg. Okay. Well, why is leg and not on his face? I don't know. I, okay. I mean, that's why I wonder, like, how committed she is to killing him. You know, right. like. There are a couple flaws in these plans. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she obviously has some animosity towards him, but right. she needs some better follow through. Yeah. She, you know, maybe today she, with all of the background all of the like source material that she could have gone to for how to kill people she would have been able to pull it off a little bit better but it didn't kill john but it obviously injured him and it made him quote unfit for labor yeah yeah it just made him bitchier so (laughs) so now he can't work he's at home more he's up in your business yeah just she she just made like the situation worse the last thing they need is more time together and and back in, hey, I mean, back in 18th, 1835, like, you can get away with murder easily, perhaps. So she could have just, like, cut his throat, <laughs> dragged his body out, yeah. let the wolves eat half of them, and then bury the other half over a three-week period, and she still wouldn't have been caught. Right. I mean, th- this isn't like, you know, they're not doing DNA tests or right. anything and back then. Then if a, you know, cop or whatever peace peace person was walking around and asking her questions he could have just said i don't he tripped and fell right and then case oh okay yeah or like i'm sure people just did just like didn't turn up all of the time back then you know like you just right. some dude just like i've had enough of these stupid kids in my dumb life i'm out of here you right. know like so who knows? But but anyway, um, so, you know, obviously having boiling water poured on you is going to be pretty painful and it's going to take some time to recover. It's going to ruin your afternoon. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it's a day, day ruiner for sure. Yeah. But and so do you think Rebecca was a was a comforting nurse? Did do you think she was like, you know, oh, I'll take care of you. She was probably like Kathy Bates in misery. Yeah, maybe. it was not good. I hope so. It was not good. She refused to nurse him back to health. And one time she actually beat him with his own crutch. Oh, that's which great. Is just fantastic. Oh, that's like, awesome. Add insult to injury. So all of this came out in divorce proceedings. And even though the all-male jury found Rebecca guilty of everything except the boiling water, which seems like that would be the easiest to prove. I mean, couldn't you just, like, pull up his leg and be like, look at this? That wasn't me. Yeah. Those are, <laughs> right. those are other kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, But so even 
even with all of that, the jury did not grant John a divorce. All of that, and they're still saying, like, no, you you can't have a divorce. <laughs> you gotta like, work this out. There's yeah, still hope. Right. Right. Like, you know, this lady I know your wife's crazy. Until she kills you, yeah. you pretty much gotta yeah. stay married you to her. You gotta stick it out, because who else is gonna want this woman? Right. So sorry, John, you're till death do you part. So I tried to tried to track down what happened to him, but I couldn't I couldn't find anything. I'd like to think that, you know, maybe the ordeal of the trial kind of like, you know, grounded them a little bit and they lived the rest of their lives in wedded bliss. But I hope not. Not likely. Not likely. But, you know, I also think I'm going to reserve judgment on Rebecca here a little bit because it's possible that she was just crazy. But it's also possible that John was just a son of a bitch. And he deserved everything he got. Absolutely. Like, Back in 1835, like, I can't imagine a dude in 1835, the way that he treated his wife and, like... Just being alive back then, it you're was an hard. asshole. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, life is a asshole. struggle. Yes, yes. I mean, you have... You no, know, you're wiping your hand with your ass. You fucking got bobcats chasing you. Like <laughs> you're just you're just in a shitty mood constantly. <laughs> and you're gonna bring that shit home and take it out on your family. Let so- me go through this list. I don't see anything about bobcats chasing anybody. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I don't. That's why, you know... I'm on her side. Yeah, I mean, you know... He had it coming to him. And she knew that a divorce wasn't going to be granted. Like, if he was an asshole, she knew. Like, if he's not going to get a divorce with all of this crazy shit she did, what chance did she have to get a divorce just because he was an asshole to her, you know? So she knew her only chance of getting out was to kill the guy. Right. So... Which she failed. Right, which she failed That was bad. Yeah. So... I don't know, Rebecca. I hope that you. I hope she eventually found some peace, either from right. the torment, either from her own craziness or from her husband. Him. Yeah. Hopefully, he died first, and she got to live it up for a little while. Okay, All but right. compromise. Know, yeah, that's 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 good. All right. Now, an even worse wife. God, I love how. Yeah. This is, I, I really like this one. This, all right. You're going to like this name. William B. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> William B. Williams. He was a slaveholder in Virginia. And when I read He's that. already an asshole. Yeah, I wondered right away, like, do you think the slaves gave him any any shit about his name like dude you may be the the <laughs> owner but your fucking name is william william b williams like come what on his middle name i i don't know i that would be interesting to know i don't know but anyway he fell in love with mildred yeah he fell in love with mildred tate while he was staying in her parents home and i'm not sure what that means while he's staying in her parents home like you're a slaveholder Shouldn't you have your own home unless you were just, like, passing through? Were there any, like, poor slaveholders? When is this in the 1700s? 1800s. Okay, early 1800s. so basically he's on a fucking moochathon in the south. <laughs> right. Goes in this house. He's hanging out there, and he's like, hey, 
I'm gonna marry you. Yeah, yeah. Th- this younger I'm woman. An asshole. Yeah, and but like, I, so I don't know. Maybe it was just like a boarding house or something. But and according to the 1830 census, he had at least 30 slaves. So he must not have been poor. He must have been just like staying overnight or something or passing through. I don't know. But between between his ridiculous name and being a slaveholder, like he just sounded like he was a mess. But so he was into Mildred, who was quite a bit younger than him, but she wasn't into him at all and was like, no, 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 no. Until something changed. I don't know what. Maybe she found out, oh, he's got 30 slaves and a bunch of money. Now I'm into him. Whatever. She she changed her mind. So they set a wedding date in January 1833, which the wedding was quite the soiree. Two days of celebration in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Rocky Mount, North Carolina, which is like some resort town or something, which, you know, no doubt the whole thing was put on by enslaved servants. Oh, yeah. You know, they were living it up. Willie and his reluctant bride had a, had a great time. Now, after everyone left... The uh, the newlyweds retired to their room, which, you know, it's probably about to be a momentous occasion yeah. about to go down in that room because no one back in 1833, I'm sure, had premarital sex, especially not somebody with with two willies who owned slaves, you know? <laughs> like, I'm sure that that guy was looking forward to his first his first time with his wife. But, unfortunately, Willie had a bit of a cold. No no word on whether that affected his desire or performance. The but, old, I have a headache excuse. Yeah. But Mildred, you know, she's a new wife. She's a doting wife. Decides to whip up a little elixir to make, make him feel better. Except, whoops, the elixir turns out to be an opium derivative called laudanum. Okay. I don't know what it does, but I looked it up, and it turns out it doesn't take much of that to overdose. Okay. So maybe Mildred has some less than pure intentions. But she gives him the medicine, give her the benefit of the doubt. She wants to wants him to feel better, and she suggests that they go to sleep. So a disappointing wedding night. Mm-hmm. But maybe he was fine with it. Who knows, since he had a cold, and you know, at that point he's all hyped up on opium, so maybe he just wants to relax. So he was tired, but he couldn't fall asleep because of, quote, novelty of the situation. Because of, quote, respiratory failure. <laughs> right. Now, novelty of the situation, does that mean being hyped up on Loudonum? Or does that mean, like, well, I don't... sleeping with this nice, virginal young woman that you've just married? Or I don't know what novelty of the situation is. I don't means. think there's any hyping. I mean, you're, I'm pretty sure you're just, like, in la-la land on, like, on Laudanum or opium well, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. opium. You're just like, eh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's probably good that she suggested they go to sleep because she might have been disappointed with what was about to happen. Probably. If he's all hyped up on. So, anyway, it didn't turn out. I assume it didn't turn out how he expected. Well, I can for sure say what, it, what was about to happen for sure means it didn't turn out how he expected. So, Mildred lies in bed for a while and Willie doesn't fall asleep. When all of a sudden, so Mildred falls asleep. She sits up and she says, I just had a dream about how we can fix your hair and change it from gray to black. So it's your wedding night. You've just married this woman. She sits up and she's like, you know, I know we just got married. and We haven't even consummated our marriage yet, but let me fix you. 
Let me fix you. Evidently, she wasn't into the whole silver fox look or something. Oh, yeah. So she wanted to she wanted to uh, to fix him. So, but you know, William wants to make his his new wife happy. So even if she's a little crazy, he says, "All right, let's let's do it." And thinks, you know, maybe if I let her fix me, she'll be more accommodating when I'm feeling a little bit better. Here's where things start to get even shadier. Mildred tells him to turn on his side and face away from her, okay? After your new wife has already given you opium and she's telling you, like, turn on your side and face away from you, I wonder if alarm bells are ringing yet. And if they're not, then the point where she gives him a glass funnel and says, hold this in your ear, that, that has to be telling you, like, something bad is about to happen. Right. But William goes along with it and puts the thing in his ear. And, you know, he's I'm sure he's feeling a little weird about from the opium. <laughs> but he wants to accommodate his wife. So, but he doesn't question it, but I would still, I don't know. I would be like, what, what the hell are you doing? But he does it and it doesn't take long before he regrets that. You can imagine. He reclines on his side, holding glass funnel to his ear and his bride begins to pour molten lead into the funnel, into his ear. Okay. Where does she get molten lead? I have no idea. This, where are they at their house or no? They're at like a, a hotel or something. Okay, okay. Like a so this or something. like hotel, this eighteen hundreds hotel. Hey, we have breakfast in the morning. We've <laughs> we've got toothpaste if you forgot it. We've got some soap and some towels. Hey. We've got some opium. <laughs> and if it's not doing the trick, we can melt some lead for you. <laughs> Where the hell did she get molten lead? I have no idea. But like molten anything like, is just bad. She had to cook this shit up, right? I would think. I, I mean, unless she had like planned before and she just had like a pot of lead on the in the fireplace or something. This is like... <laughs> Like, if this isn't premeditated... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, to no one's surprise, William doesn't just take this lying down, you know? Like, he's like, what the hell's going on? He sits up, screeches in horror. Mildred freaks out from him freaking out. She jets out of the room screaming. Surprised that he's having this reaction. Yeah, surprised. I poured molten lead in my husband's ear and he's not happy about it. She runs out. Starts screaming, wakes up everybody in the place. A doctor comes and, quote, treats William. Now, I can only imagine what a doctor's treatment is in 1833 for a guy who has molten lead in his ear and is hyped up on opium. Let me put this leech on your hand. Right, right. (laughs) Like, what is this guy going to do? Let me stick this needle right between your ribs Yeah, and let the blood out. Yeah, let me bleed out some humors here or something. Like, let me, I don't know. I don't know what, what they plan to do. But 
evident, you know, I'm sure it couldn't have done, gone well. But so witnesses collect evidence and, you know, they begin to question Mildred, which I'm sure went something like, hey, Millie, do you happen to know anything about how this molten lead ended up in your husband's ear? But William survives and makes the best decision ever and files for a divorce within right. a week. And he's granted a divorce. So it was a short marriage for them. And later, William would claim that Mildred wanted him dead because she had the hots for someone else. And some guests at the wedding said that she seemed particularly interested in a young guy at the wedding. She was younger. William was a little bit older. She wasn't into the whole silver fox thing. She saw a younger guy. But Mildred's friends said that she, her craziness was because she was using this laudanum opium stuff. And a storekeeper said that he had sold a ton of it to her over the previous few months. And people think that, like, she was just off her rocker because she was this, like, opium just, like, messed her up. But later on, she claimed to not even remember the wedding. Of course. And was shocked that she was ever even married, which, you know, likely story. Where did this lead come from? Where did I buy this lead from? <laughs> right. How did I get this lead molten? And I just happen to have a glass funnel here, too. So He lost hearing in that ear, right? I'm, sh I'm sure. I'm, I mean... I, when I think of molten lead, I think of like you know it pouring into his ear and then like solidifying right away, because it like it's not hot. I don't know, but I don't know. It just and like the lead poisoning, right? If it didn't set his ear on fire, I don't. Man, I'd like to see a picture of that guy afterwards. And I mean, 1833, there were no pictures. So I guess, he but. had this laudanum. Then he had. Molten lead. Uh -huh. Then tossing the bobcats, <laughs> chasing you, and the, this fucking guy's got real problems. He's really got problems. And how are you going to run from bobcats? Your equilibrium has to be yeah. all off because you had lead in your ear. This guy's an asshole anyway. Yeah, he's probably he was probably uh, he's probably bobcat that, dinner that so night. Awesome. Yeah, poor. But you know, <clears throat> dude, slaveholder. Yeah, I, you can't even feel bad for him. I don't. Like, I mean, sorry, William. Coming to him. Sorry, that's Car be Williams. Karma's a bitch, dude. Okay, so our other stories have been old, but now we're going to move to one that is happening right now. Like right now. Right now. It is happening. It is happening. Yes. Or it did happen. The repercussions are happening now. What do you know about Lesotho? Um, he, it's a pretty bad std <laughs> you don't want that or it's a country in africa okay i don't i don't know if i would have identified it as a country i don't yeah. think that i would it's entirely surrounded by south africa it's a very small country okay in yeah. the middle of south africa and their first lady is a murderer all right an accused murderer let's protect ourselves because we don't want those aggressive lesotho Lawyers alleged. to sue us for slander. Alleged. alleged. Alleged, okay? So, let me take you back to June 2017. Thomas Thabane, Thabane, T-H-A-B-A-N-E, Thabane, whatever. He's about to be inaugurated. 
And at the same time, he's negotiating a divorce with his soon-to-be ex-wife with the, with the name that just kind of rolls off your tongue, Lip, Lipolelo, Lipolilo, whatever. It's hot. Yeah. She's 58, and she's been living apart from her estranged husband for five years. And one night she comes home into her, to her house in kind of a, this remote village, and she's ambushed and gunned down at close range two days before her husband is inaugurated as president. Now, this immediately seems fishy to anyone who follows politics in Lesotho, which you can imagine is quite a few people <laughs> following politics in Lesotho. I'm sure. I wonder, do you think, well, do you think Donald Trump knows that Lesotho is a country? There's no way. Well... I don't want to be ever associated with him, but I didn't fucking know <laughs> yeah, that it was right. a country. So that, yeah, but you are not the president. But right, still, I think probably I think probably most members of Congress don't know what Lesotho is either. But anyway, um, so uh, it seems fishy because this soon-to-be prime minister filed divorce papers five years earlier, and they'd been you know living apart, and accused his wife of. Malicious desertion, which just sounds like great, like not just desertion, but malicious desertion. Yeah, like what you didn't. The hell is that? You didn't decide to just leave me alone. You left me alone with bad intent. Right. You know, like I basically she left him. But yeah, I guess that's the opposite of benign desertion, which would be like I just left you the hell alone. So. Anyway, the prime minister filed those divorce papers just a month after becoming prime minister in 2012. So in 2017, he's beginning his second, a second term as prime minister. So in 2012, becomes prime minister, a month later, files for divorce papers. At the time, he was 73 and his wife was 53. So he had a younger, his wife was 20 years younger. All right. But he'd been seeing a new lady who is even younger, 35. He's 73 and she's 35. So he's like, why do I want this old lady when I can have the 35-year-old? I'm sure he's quite the catch. But his new lady starts carrying on like she's the first lady back in 2012. The 35-year-old. The, the okay. Yeah. Start, even though like he's not yet divorced, she starts like filling in at, at official functions and all of that. So the estranged wife gets pissed off and sues. And in 2015, three years into his term, a court rules that the first wife is actually the first lady. So the court actually gets involved and says, no, new wife, you're not the first lady. Or new, new woman, you're not the first right. lady. This, even though they're estranged and even though they're not living together, she's the actual first lady. So she gets a chauffeur. She gets a bodyguard. And this new woman should stop acting like she's the first lady and don't go to the, any function. Stop acting like you're important. So obviously this doesn't sit well with the new lady. But it's kind of a moot point because three months after the, after the ruling, her husband is defeated in an election and he's out. He's no longer the prime minister. So everything, you know, two years, whatever, there's neither one of them are first lady. But then he's gonna, he wins and he's going to be prime minister again. And the divorce still isn't finalized. So two days before he inaugurate, he's inaugurated, 
the ex is gunned down. Three months later, the prime minister marries his new lady, this younger woman. And now she's 42 and he's 80. And, but she's wacko. The, the prime minister's daughter, obviously from a different woman, said last year that the new lady had sought help of witch doctors to help make sure that some of the political decisions were going to go in her, in her way. So, like, that's how you know that it's just an entirely different world when the first lady's consulting witch doctors. Right. Although Nancy Reagan did consult astrologers in the White House. Like, she had an astrologer that came. Really? Yeah. The presidential astrologer. The pre- the, the, yeah. So, like, in like, is there any difference between astrology and a witch doctor? Probably not. I, I mean, they're this, you know, whatever. But um, anyway, she, you know, <laughs> apparently even in Lesotho, witch doctors are, are wacky. So the, the prime minister's political opponents had like a field day with that. So... In December of this past year, the police tell the prime minister that they have records that show his cell phone communicated with somebody who was at the murder scene. So that's obviously bad news. So then on January 10th, after a few more interviews, they issue an arrest warrant for this for the first lady, the new first lady, the younger lady. The one who's alive, obviously. She decides to flee the country with the help of the prime minister's press secretary. And they drive to South Africa, which is they can get to by going in any direction because it's surrounded. (laughs) It's South Africa on all sides. So, um, so she's also charged with attempted murder because the, the first lady's friend was also injured. And she's hiding out in South Africa for weeks, and then she decides to turn herself in when she comes to some agreement with prosecutors or something. But, like, you're, you're running away to hide. Nothing says, I'm not guilty, like, leaving the country to hide. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, that's just bad. Leaving the country or just driving down the road. Right, yeah. Like, you know, so it, things... I read about this like 10 days ago or so, and then CNN just had it on their website today. And I thought, like, how are you, how am I more ahead of you guys of, on this story than you guys are? Right. Like, why is it taking you so long to pick this up? When you mentioned the witch doctor, I like the, I, my priorities aren't always straight. The like first thing I thought of is that she's consulting the witch doctor, like about his vinegar balls because he he's he's eighty <laughs> he's eighty years old. I mean, yeah, but maybe she's got bigger problems in politics and shit. Like yeah, but she like she has to bone this guy. That's I'm maybe she. I don't she know. doesn't care. She she's willing to take one for the team on that one because I'm sure he's got some hot bodyguard, some hot like you know 25 yeah. year old bodyguard that's yeah, keeping her so. satisfied or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, she had his ex wife <laughs> killed. Obviously, morality is not a concern for her. You know. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, as a 35 year old, or she's 42 and he's 80, like. <laughs> 
maybe she just, you know, takes some laudanum or something before uh, yeah. getting in bed with him. I don't know. Give him the hot lead treatment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, this is this is the other interesting part of it. The police commissioner says that there have been threats on his life because of the investigation. So you're a police in, you're a police commissioner, you're investigating the pre, the prime minister of like this little tribal country. I think if you if you're making like picks for a death pool of who's going to die soon, like this police commissioner is probably a pretty good pick. Yeah. Like his days have to be numbered, I would think. I like it. So anyway, yeah, I mean, you could you could qualify her as you know she's just trying to defend her man and defend her defend her place in the world. I don't know. All right, we're gonna we're gonna move on to. I'm gonna skip this one, and we'll I'll come back to that one maybe next Valentine's Day. This story is pretty horrific, <clears throat> but you'll recognize one key part of it. Maybe. Did you ever see the movie Fargo? That's a um, Coen Brothers movie. We've talked about the Coen Brothers before. Right. I Technically, I have. Okay. Um, I don't remember it. I just, remem- I just rem- remember the body being thrown into a wood chipper. That's the part I wanted you to remember. All right. There you go. Let me tell you a story. Coming through <laughs> in the clutch. All right. Let's go back to 1986. Helly Crafts, which is a woman's name, H-E-L-L-E, Helly. She's 39 years old. She works at a flight as a flight attendant for Pan Am. And on the evening of November 18, 1986, she just returned from a flight from Frankfurt, West Germany, back in the days of Germany, East Germany and West Germany. Some friends dropped her off at home in Connecticut, in, in Newtown, Connecticut, mm-hmm. which is where the Sandy Hook uh, uh, massacre took place. Um, some friends dropped her off, and that was the last time anybody saw her alive. She'd been married for 13 years to Richard B. Crafts, who was an airline pilot for Eastern Airlines. So she's a flight attendant for Pan Am. He's an airline pilot for Eastern. He was also a part-time police officer in a neighboring town. I also saw something that said he was a constable. I don't know what a constable is, but it sounds like so, something from like the 1800s. Is that a cop in England? I th- I don't know. I think so. Because like, aren't like constables or cops and like barristers or lawyers? Like is that England? right? I think so. This, you know, this is all your Charles Dickens reading coming out here. That's right, Governor. <laughs> governor, that's right. Um, so anyway, um, in... In late summer 1986, so a few a few months before she goes missing, Helly gets a phone bill with some long-distance charges on it. Back in the day when you had, like, long-distance, and it was a big deal to call long-distance. They have a nanny because they are, you know, they're both frequently... They aren't home. Right. They're, they're, they're frequently traveling the world or whatever. But Helly gets the bill. Helly sees the charges on the, on the bill, and she thinks, you know... I'm, I didn't make these calls. Maybe the nanny did. I'll ask her about it. So she takes the bill and she goes. She starts to ask the nanny about it. And Richard, her husband, freaks out and grabs the bill from her hands and walks away with it. Not something 
that an innocent person does. That's not suspicious at all. That, yeah, right. That's like red flag city. Right. So, of course, she gets suspicious. And she starts thinking about it a lot. And she starts to lose weight and become more anxious. And, she, you know, she's suspecting that he's having an affair. But she's not going to just take his word for it. And she's quite resourceful. So she obtains a bunch of phone records from the phone company and takes them to a divorce attorney in early September. They discuss the divorce process. The attorney says, hey, I know this private investigator. Let's see if maybe he can help us out. The PI does what PIs do, and he traces one of the numbers to a condo complex in New Jersey. And he goes down there and hangs out for a little while. And voila, he snaps some photos of guess who? Richard B. Crafts, the husband, emerging from the home of another flight attendant. Bad news for Richard. Bad news for Helly. The PI meets Helly and presents the evidence to her. Helly confronts Richard, and he says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. Give me another chance. I'll make it up to you, whatever. Helly doesn't want to give him another chance and wants to divorce him. But then he says... Apparently, he had a cancer scare before, and he says, hey, my colon cancer has returned. <laughs> Playing the old, like, hey, honey, my colon cancer has returned card. <laughs> and he needs her. So she says, okay, I'll consider staying with you. But then she does, you know, Helly's resourceful. She and Like, she can't trust this dude. She's not just going to take his word for it. She does a little digging, finds out from the doctors. No guys, pun intended. Guy, guy, <laughs> guy's full of shit. His cancer hasn't returned. So she she tells him that she's going to divorce him, but then starts to fear for her safety. And she tells a friend that um, if something happened to her, it shouldn't be considered an accident. Now, if you ever think that, when it comes to personal safety, like, trust your gut. I think your gut can lie to you on a lot of things. Like, when people say, like, oh, trust your gut. Like, sometimes I think a lot of that is just bullshit. But when it comes to, like, your personal safety, like, err on the side of caution and trust your gut. Like, if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. So if you think, like, my husband might kill me, then it's time to get out of Dodge. Not to blame the victim here, but, you know, trust your gut here, Helly. Um, so when, uh, Helly, you know, she's last seen November 18th. After a few days, people start to say like, where's Helly? Nobody, nobody has seen her. He's on the morning of the 19th. He wakes up the nanny. He says, um, we, we're going to Helly's, we're going to my mom's house. I'm taking the kids there now. Helly will be there later. So she, he takes the nanny and the kid to his mom's house. Helly never shows up. And um, so Helly's friends are worried about her husband's explanations for where she is. So they go to the private investigator that she had hired and he thinks that it's a little unusual. So he goes to the police, but the police doesn't the police don't do anything. So the PI does a little bit more investigating. He talks to the nanny and discovers that Richard has cut out a piece of carpeting from the bedroom, which isn't something 
that happens every day. And he's bought all new sheets and pillows and a comforter. And he replaced an old freezer in the basement. <laughs> bad shit's going this on. This guy's really not that bright. No, bad stuff is going on. So the PI goes to the police, which it takes all of this overwhelming evidence for them to finally say, okay, this like part-time police officer from a neighboring town might not be a good guy. They decide to investigate a bit. And up to that point, they had said, you know, Helly left on her own. She'd return when she was ready. But during their investigation, they discover that he just happened, Richard just happened to rent a wood chipper from November 18th to November 21st. Now, she was last seen the evening of November 18th, the same day that he rented the wood chipper. And they also, apparently on the, the, the 19th, the day after, there was a big snowstorm. And they talked to a snowplow driver who saw, who remembered in the middle of the night, like 3.30 in the morning, seeing a wood chipper, a truck and a wood chipper, parked near by a nearby lake in the middle of the night and saw a dude get out of the driver's, or walking along the driver's side portion of the truck and then waving him on as if, you know, go on, just go around me. So, like... You know, a guy with a wood chipper in the middle of the night near a lake, like something doesn't quite add up here. They ask him about it and he says he's just clearing some brush from his from his property, like in the middle of the night. Yeah. Getting sleep. Right. So um they the police do, you know, they interview him, they do a little digging, and they find some things around the lake not much a little bit they find pieces of tissue they find bones that are added up way less than an ounce the biggest fragment of which which is an inch and a half and they found a, a, a nail a fingernail that had some nail polish on it and later they found a chainsaw belonged to Richard in the water beneath this bridge where he had been sighted that had some tissue and hair and stuff on the chainsaw. So things are looking bad for Richard. They also discover that Richard had spent the night with two different girlfriends in the weeks following Helly's disappearance. So, like, the dude has a lot going on. He's He's arrested, he's charged with murder, but... There's no body. So they have this challenge of like charging him with murder when there's no body. And the prosecution not only has to convince the jury that this guy did it, but that there's even a body to begin with, that he's even dead. The defense was arguing, hey, she just left. She had enough of her life. She just up and left. And, you know, people do it all the time. Her friends were saying, no, she's not the kind of person that would abandon her kids, her the prosecution said, you know, she just went back to back to Denmark with her mom, where she's from. The mom said, no, I haven't heard from her. She's not here. But so they were playing up the fact that she had gotten this idea of faking her death and living a new life from some movie in the early 80s. Um, maybe it was Body Heat. I can't remember. But um, 
anyway, that was the, the, the defense's defense. So at trial, two flight attendants testified that they had affairs with Richard, and they also had this these photos of of her of him coming out of. So they were establishing motive. The prosecution also did something a little unusual during the trial. They showed a video where they got a wood chipper, and they got a pig, and they fed a pig into the wood chipper. To show, like, the destructive power of the wood chipper and, like, what happens when you feed a pig into a wood chipper and, like, essentially there's nothing left. And, you know, that kind of, you know, helps support their case. So the prosecution also said that the guy, he started to put the plot into action in October. And in early November... He made a down payment on a dump truck, but then the dump truck had a problem with the fuel line, and he threatened to take his business elsewhere unless the dealership provided him with a vehicle that could tow a wood chipper on that exact day. He had to have something that could tow a wood chipper that exact day. He couldn't wait. It had to be that day, and that was the wood chipper. That was a U-Haul that he rented that they gave him because the, the... the dump truck that he had bought had a problem. Now it turned out around this area where the snowplow driver saw him, they found some wood chips and mixed in with the wood chips were, was an envelope that was addressed to heli crafts and some of her tissue. So they found that right where the guy, right where the snowplow driver had seen that guy parked. So it's all just, you know, not looking good for Richard B. Crafts. Um, oh, and the other thing that they found by the lake was a gold tooth, which was the only thing that they could actually definitively match to her because she had a gold tooth and the dental records matched or whatever. This is 1986. It's before DNA, so they can't do all of that right. stuff, you know. But um, so they don't have a body. They have the chainsaw. They have the wood chipper. The prosecution makes their case. It seems like kind of an easy case to prove, but not so. 17 days of deliberations. And it becomes the jury's deadlocked. 11 to 1 for conviction. One guy is holding out who, like, I I don't know what his problem was, but, like, he... he, uh, Probably the, the... Wood chipper rental guy. Yeah, yeah, like something. It's like, oh shit, this is going to be some right, back on me. Right, something. So <laughs> it becomes so bad that he boycotts the deliberations and he refused to go back. Refuses to go back into the courtroom when the judge orders the jury back in. He's like, screw it, I've had enough. I'm not going in. And like, tries to make a run for it, and they have to like physically bring him back in. So they end up declaring a mistrial, and. There's no verdict. Gets off scot-free. So luckily, and this is all in the summer of 88. So she's killed in 86. The investigation, the trial, everything. That's summer of 88. It's uh, deadlocked. It's a mistrial. They put him on trial again in September of 1989. And this time, he's found guilty. And in January of 1990, he's sentenced to 50 years in prison. Not life, not like death, like just 50 years, which, I mean, it's, it's a long sentence. 
But today he's 82 years old. And he just, on January 30th, just a couple of weeks ago, he was released from prison. Holy shit. Having served his, his sentence with credit for good behavior, so that's about 30 years, 30 years of the 50-year sentence, he was released, and he's currently living in a halfway house until June when he will be fully released. And there will be a man walking among everybody in Connecticut who fed his wife to a wood chipper, which became the inspiration for the Coen brothers and Fargo. Oh, that's... That is the inspiration. That's where they got the idea uh, at the end of Fargo. I, I don't know if it's seen it. I've never seen it. But yeah. And I'm sorry if it's a spoiler. Look, the movie came out 25 years ago. Like, if you haven't seen it, <laughs> tough. But, like, they, you know, there's the scene where they come upon somebody feeding somebody into the wood chipper. That's poor... Helly crafts. That's pretty early on in the movie, I think. Uh, Is it I early? I thought it was at the. I thought it, it was at the end. I, like I, I said, know. I haven't I'm, seen yeah. it. I just saw that. But, know. but anyway, if you haven't seen Fargo, I'm sorry to ruin it for you. But you know, you had a long time to see it. It's not my fault that you're behind on your movies. Wow. So, if you don't have a Valentine this year, don't feel too bad about it because it doesn't always work out well. And I, you know, I felt a little bad with the first stories of like, you know, it was all women doing a bunch of bad things, but like Richard Kraft showed that like, you know, the, the women didn't kill anybody in their stories. Richard Kraft's just, he went above and beyond yeah. just craziness. He meant business. All right. Now that I've destroyed our faith in love and made you wonder if you can really trust anybody especially somebody who tries to give you opium on your wedding night or... Or chops you up in a wood chipper yeah. or throws some molten lead <laughs> or cuts your penis off. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Why don't you try and restore our faith and love here, Brian? So while these things are happening, when you're losing your hope possibly, you, you can listen to songs of hope and some songs of hopelessness. Like I've mentioned earlier, love songs are, they don't have to be all happy and lovey. There are painful love songs of lost love and hurt, and that's what I like also. So I compiled a list of songs that you can go listen to if you're interested in. Um, I think everybody should know all of these songs, and most of you probably already do know probably 80 to 90 percent of these songs so um some are really happy touchy-feely warmy some are no it's totally over get the fuck out of my house or or i'm gonna chop you up with a chainsaw so song one is wasp nest by the national Wasp nest. Wasp nest. <laughs> Which is a, 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 it's a loving song, but I mean, she, the female character is a little edgy. Just edgy. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number two is, I think, one of the best love songs ever. 
Um, oh, Sherry by Steve Perry. <laughs> the vocals on this song are so kick-ass. Every time I hear that song, I think of you throwing your right arm up into the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, when you told me how much you love that song, you're like, oh, it, it's sure. It's so awesome. Oh, man. These are in no order, by the way. Number three is Oceans by Pearl Jam. We've... Mm-hmm. Uh, we just talked about oceans uh, on the last podcast. It's it's such a great song. It's the it's it's awesome. Lyrics are great. Melody fantastic. Um, uh, the next one is uh, "Without You" by Harry Nilsson. Um, that came out in uh, nineteen seventy one, I believe, on his. Grammy award-winning album. Um, it's a cover song, actually, but he probably has the most popular version. Is that... Um, that's the same guy that did Cats in the Cradle, right? No. No? No. And, and, Who am uh, I thinking? I'm blanking on his name, but that isn't here. It's not Nelson. Okay. No. Um, the next song is uh, The Air That I... Breathe by the Hollies, another great 1970s love song. Great chorus, awesome. Next one is Crown of Love by Arcade Fire, where I think like how how I interpret it is it's kind of a loving song, but there are some some um, some not um, not hesitations. I can't think of the word i'm thinking of but it's definitely not all all that happy okay so um next one is no one's gonna love you more than i do by band of horses oh i love that that yeah that song is so awesome yeah um listen to the album version go on youtube listen to the acoustic only version the vocals on that are fantastic band of horses yeah i I always forget they exist and Mm -hmm. every time i remember i love it and i love them everybody knows this one eternal flame by the bangles oh the bangles are a severely underrated band yeah Uh, they do great harmonies great melodies and i mean those lyrics are awesome um wouldn't it be nice by the Beach Boys? That's great. That mandolin intro uh, yeah. and kind of like teenage love, mm. young young love. Next two are kind of re- um, relationship enders. Um, <laughs> this one is f- uh, for no one by the Beatles. It's off of the revolver album i I think it's a forgotten song but it's the woman realizes the the man whether it's a boyfriend or husband she doesn't need him and he's under this illusion that she still does and she's telling the fuck off (laughs) rightfully so but i mean it's a great relationship ending song sounds like something rebecca copen could have used back yeah. in the 1800s um a, not their great failure of 
relationship song is uh, Lifeline by Ben Harper. Mm-hmm. Very melancholy, uh, great lyrics. Um, next one is Formidable by The Big Moon. So, uh, I don't even yeah. know. Um, this next one is an interesting love song. It's um, called I Got You by Stone Temple Pilots. Mm-hmm. How how I interpret the lyrics, Scott Weiland is singing of his love for heroin and the okay. the challenges of being a heroin addict. I th- It's a great love. It's killing him, but it's a great love song. He can't get over it. I think that's awesome. Um, I I love painful lyrics. Yeah. Um, next one is uh, "Ship Song" by Nick Cave. Listen to both the uh, studio version and the live version. Great voice, Nick Cave. Um, this next one is by a, the. Best band that nobody's heard of. It's called For You, uh, and the band is Big Star. Um, they were a 70s band, um, I think active from 71 to maybe 76, out of, out of I think, Ohio. But they they were, their problem was that they were, they were ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go back and listen to their three albums, they could have been written today, but I, but better. I don't know why I recognize the name. I don't know anything by them or anything about them, but the mm. name does sound familiar. Yeah. I don't. I'm, I don't know. That's cool. Um, next one is "Lover Boy" by Billy Ocean. It, <laughs> Billy Ocean. The I did intro? not think we were going to talk about Dabney Coleman, but I for right. sure did not think we were going to bring up Billy Ocean. That like building synth intro, mm. awesome, awesome. What was the name of the song again? Lover Boy. Lover Boy. Yes. Is that a popular one? Do I know that one? That's one of his popular songs. Okay. I'll have so to it, check it out. Had I'm... had heavy. Heavy MTV rotation circa like eighty five ish. Is I Billy think. Ocean? Hey, hey, you, you get yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's him. Um, Ain't no easy way out by Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, which is a song of yeah. I mean, it's can't get out of love easy. Um, the, the next one is um, Girl from the North Country by Bob. Dylan. Okay. Great song. Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. Oh, man. It's a, they're probably their most popular yeah. song. Um, but the, he had, I, this, um, Ian Curtis committed suicide when he was 23. And he, like, he, he had, he, all these problems, all these marital problems at like such a young that's, age. That's one of those songs that, like, if you listen to it, it's a great song. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love most everything I've heard from Joy Division and from um, what's the previous band? Billy Ocean. No, no, uh, the other Joy Division. Uh, uh, New Order. New Order. Yeah. Um, 
but once you know this Ian Curtis's story, like everything, you know, yeah. a lot of those songs yeah. take on new meanings, mm-hmm. you know, and that that for sure is one. Yeah. Um, next one is um, is a great '80s song called called "Emotion in Motion" by Rick Ocasek, the okay, leader of the, the Cars. cars. Did a solo album. Great love song. Next one is uh, Out to Get You by James. But people know James for the song Laid. Yeah. But this song is such a great depressing song of missing a person and wanting and just loss. And what's the name of it? Out to Get You? Out to by Get James. You. Okay. Yeah. Next one is... All Through the Night by Cindy Lauper. Oh, man. That is like, whenever, that's one of those songs, Cindy Lauper, All Through the Night, um, True Colors, mm-hmm. um, that I, every time I hear it, I'm taken back to like 1984, living in Springfield. Right. Yeah, like time driving after time. In, time after time, yeah. yeah. Like driving around with my dad and sisters, a very, very specific memory of all those Cindy Lauper songs. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite hair metal ballads, Without You by Motley Crue. Oh, man. It came I off the Dr. Feelgood album. Okay. Yeah. Who are you going to call Dr. Feelgood? Right. Oh, man, i got to listen to that. There's a lot more, so hang in there. Yeah, um, come on. Let's do it. Longing to Belong by Eddie Vedder. It's off the ukulele album. That it's 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 a great love song. Which it's, is a hardcore Pearl Jam fan. I have still not listened to the ukulele. Album. Yeah, I listened to this song. It's, yeah, it's it's some of his best love lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kiss you all over by Exile. Um, it's a great 80s song. This next one is by Father John Misty. Oh. And and I love his storytelling and his kind of um, take on relationships and how yeah. they turn stale and old. But this one is called I Went to the Store One Day. And it goes from meeting this random person at this door and the whole evolution of the relationship and the ending. And then it ends on how this all happened because I asked you at this this random person, what's your name? And then this, wow. it's, it's all chance. It's all right. That, that just one question. Just from talking at the store. What's your name? creates this whole thing yeah walking after you by the foo fighters on color and shape album and the um i think the x files movie soundtrack from like 97 okay i think awesome song november rain by guns and roses man this is a great like uh changing in relationship song Mm -hmm. also 
and just like one of the greatest movie uh, music videos yeah. ever. I think it used to come in like when MTV would do the top videos mm-hmm. countdown. It used to come in at like and two then, or three it, after it, it's a, Thriller and Sledgehammer. It's an it's an epic song. Yeah, I mean it is. the lyrics are fantastic. Piano, the, the piano at the end, the solo, there's solo. two solos. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Next one is Never Tear Us Apart by NXS. I've never met a person that does not like that song. Um, Yeah, that for sure is... I mean, there's a lot of good NXS songs, but Never Tear Us Apart. Yeah. That that is... Yeah. I mean, there... It's interesting how there are... We talked a while ago about like perfect pop songs and mm-hmm. like oobla dee oobla da. Yeah. But like never tear us apart. Oh yeah, that has to be up there. Like everybody, there's no way you can mm-hmm. listen to that song and not love it. Right. Uh, Vapor Trail by Ride. Uh, this song is on their f- first album in like 1988, 89. Ride? Ride. Huh. Yeah. Awesome song. This next one is a recent song. It's called Oh Baby, and it's by the LCD Sound System. Mm. Um, Good band. Awesome, awesome band. Great song. Um, watch the video. I Usually I don't like videos, but this, vid- this video has sissy... Um, Spacek in it. Oh, and it has the act. I, I'm I am horrible with uh, names of actors. It has the actor that plays the brother of Tom Cruise in The Firm. He's been in other movies also, but the video is fantastic. Like Raymond. Yeah, yeah. It, and I mean, you can cry at this video. Yeah. it's that awesome. Hmm. Um, this. Next song is an instrumental by Led Zeppelin. In the pronunciation of the song, it's a Welsh name. And I mean, I'm probably butchering it, but it's butchered all over the internet. So <laughs> so I'm just going to call it what I've always caught a, called it. It's called Bronior. Um, not to be confused with Bronior Stomp, which is on Led Zeppelin 3. This this acoustic song is uh, on physical graffiti, and it's probably the uh, my greatest guitar achievement when I learn how to play this song. Nice. Yeah. Um, next one is Nashville by Liz Fair, and the at like the uh, it's off the Whip Smart album. God, it has such like I the first time I heard this song was in like '94, and the 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 chorus who I won't decorate my love mm. like I've never f- figured out if it's I won't decorate my love or I won't decorate. Comma, comma my love my love and I, I like it better if the comma's not there yeah yeah and and it's that that line just p- 
pull me in and uh, at the end she repeats it and i love her voice it's kind of flat she's not the best singer out there but i love her it's, voice yeah i um, i remember the first time hearing liz fair i'm like is this lady for real like mm-hmm. she's really but like once you just she i, I right. love liz fair I yeah love her stuff it's so good um next one is throw your arms around me by the hunters and collectors uh they're they're an australian band um formed in the early 80s but pearl jam fans know this song as okay. a eddie yeah. preset song throw your so, arms around the world or whatever throw your yeah. arms is it around me o- yeah i thought it was around me. the world no i will throw so yeah your arms around yeah for years and years and years before the opening band came out he eddie eddie vetter would periodically come out and right. do two or three songs get people in when they stopped the opening acts the presets ended but that song was one of the songs i would always hope to hear and i heard we heard that uh uh, in, in an encore in Indian 2000. Mm-hmm. And I think we heard it at a preset um, um, at least one time. I just can't, yeah. can't well, recall. On when. this new tour, they have an opener, so maybe the right. presets will come mm-hmm. back. Right. Uh, plural one. Yes. Uh, this has one of the greatest morbid love choruses. Um th- there is a light that never goes out by the Smiths. Um, uh, if a double-decker bus crashes into us, to die by your side is a heavenly way to die. If a ten-ton truck kills the both of us, to die by your side... Well, the pleasure of the privilege is mine. That Damn. Morrissey just <laughs> Morrissey early Morrissey just came up with the greatest lyrics. And it's what, too bad he's a madman now. Hate him or disagree. Yeah, with his politics now, he 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 turned into what he always hated. Yeah, he turned into an old musician, and he has this song from the early 90s he hates the rolling stones Mm -hmm. and he wrote this song in the early 90s called get off the stage and (laughs) it's pretty much the rolling he he came over to the u.s and the like top act at that time was the rolling stones and he said these fuckers are so old you're like you're yeah finish and yet he is the old man right Next one is a great failed relationship song, Nothing Man by Pearl Jam. Mm. We, uh, If you pay attention to the lyrics, that's what it is. This, this person had it all, caught lightning in a bottle, yeah. cursed, they didn't let it go. Yeah. And it, it's such a great I never thought of it like failure that, yeah. song in love. I th- that's that's one, how one of I my least favorite Pearl Jam songs, but maybe if I reconsider it through that filter, I'll I might like it more. And to listen to the album, 
version is awesome, but they have a DVD called Touring Band 2000. You can head on YouTube. That live version is probably my favorite hmm. because I do, because that's around the time that Eddie and his f- first wife divorced. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and when he's singing that song. Like his his eyes are closed for he he he's like I swear he's singing to her. It seems personal. I, it's yeah, very personal. Yeah. Um. Kind of a downer love song is your your love is killing me by Sharon Van Etten. Mm. Great acoustic song. Um, um, this next one is by Stone Temple Pilots. They have a second entry here, and it's called Still Remains. Off the Purple album. One of the best choruses, I think, of, <laughs> of a rock song. Look it up. Okay. It's, 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 it's fantastic. Um, Strange Currencies yes. by R.E.M. So, our, like, Michael Stipe writes the most cryptic lyrics out there i kind of think it's a love song but it's michael stipe it could be about a chihuahua he, he <laughs> yeah. saw in central park one yeah. day. i don't know um love building on fire by the talking heads great song uh, uh this next one is by dave matthews solo Mm. Oh, damn lucky, which is like a two-part love song. From what I read years ago, he was with his girlfriend, and he proposed. He was planning on proposing to her, and he did, and she said no. And his whole world turned upside down, But, but the song, he's thanking her because he ended up with his current wife like ah, okay. he dodged a b- bullet right, yeah. um b- but there's a line in there um where he says amazing what a minute can do and i mean i interpret that as that minute where he asks her and she she says, she says no, and his world is thrown upside down, and I love that because yeah. who knows what he was thinking. He was right. down at the bottom, but then ended up later on, he was like, oh, shit, I'm lucky that right. I got married. Yeah, man. Um, next one is a good, it's a good old-fashioned love song. Um, Angel Dream by Tom Petty. Um just a good, just a good old fashioned love song. <laughs> That's all it is. Um, only, only you by Yaz. Uh, Yaz was in eighties dance music. Okay. Um, great eighties song. Um, I'm sticking with you by the Velvet Underground. Um, you lost me on that one. Lou I, can't, Reed. I can't do Lou Reed, man. Okay, so <laughs> I cannot do Lou Reed. Satellite of Love, maybe. No, you. <laughs> you've got to listen to this song. Okay. Okay. Um, then the beautiful ones by Prince has one of the best, most passionate endings. Like 
please. Are you trying to lose me? Prince? This, Prince followed following Lou Reed? This is off of one of the best albums ever, Purple Rain. Blah, what blah, blah, beautiful blah. ones <laughs> that you've got to just put this song in, write it out. Then in the last like two minutes, that is just straight up passion. Okay. Straight up, just raw intensity passion. All right. I'll check it yes. out. And last but not least, and once again, not in order, Take On Me by oh, yeah. Aha. Mm-hmm. Now... There is the the album video uh, the the album version is awesome. The video everybody knows for the animation. Right. So Aha is still active. Oh, okay. And they were on. I can't remember where they're from, like Sweden, but whatever. They were on MTV Unplug, like. Two or three years back in like Sweden. Okay, so they do an acoustic version of Take On Me. Uh There are all these older women. They're they're literally crying. Like this, uh, and the singer, this this song turns into the ultimate panty dropper. (laughs) And, but he, like, so... The music they do, he's hitting ranges that are hard. Mm-hmm. He, this guy still has it. And he's, he is not Vince Neil either. He's not just some fat fuck. Yeah. Like this guy looks good. Like he sounds good. And it actually, this version, I think, changes the meaning of the whole song. Oh, wow. I believe in, I have no evidence of it. I believe this was the original version of the the song song, and what it was meant to be because you really get a feel for the lyrics and what he's saying whereas the the album version you know i really think a producer came and said hey no we've Gotta throw some keyboards on yeah, there. Yeah, made we it a little pop. Gotta pop it up. Which, yeah. hey, I mean, it turned out awesome. Right. I, I, th- I think it's one of the best pop songs written. Ever. Yeah, it's a great song. But look up the unplugged version. It's okay. fantastic. Awesome. So those are my happy, sad love. Valentine's love songs. Nice. I like it. Well, I, I had no list until I started listening to you go through the list, and I came up with just a short list here. Force of Nature by Pearl Jam, which is a song that I hated until I recently started listening to it. And you pay attention to the lyrics on that? Yeah, I've always been a... That is probably my favorite song on that album. The it's, lyrics, it's It's so, just so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah, the um, husband is trying to help the wife, and yeah. she's not wanting the help. Yeah. And he's hanging in there. Um, and then you had I Got You by STP, mm-hmm. but I have I Got You by Split Ends, which is yes. a great 80s mm-hmm. song. And another song that Pearl Jam kind of did a little bit, right. but the original is better than the way that Pearl Jam does it, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's just Absolutely. a fantastic song. Absolutely. Um, Liz Fair divorce song, divorce, yes, which is just it's great. I mean, yeah, it, the yes, yes, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great 
lyrically written song. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily about divorce. It seems like some of it makes it me think that it's kind of early in a relationship as opposed to like an actual divorce. But I think it's there. He, it will, he, there, he's tired of her. Yeah, 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 for sure. Shit, yeah, and and these little things are irritating. Irritating Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's yeah, it's a good one. Oh, it's great. Uh, And then REM, an actual love song. I think it's a just a pure love song at at my most beautiful. Yes, off of Up, which is one of my favorite albums ever. But at my most beautiful, how could I leave that off? I mean, I was all these songs. I was going off of memory. Yeah, um, just listen them out. Um, just when you said strange currencies, yeah, like when but I think love song at my, at most, my most beautiful, beautiful is just, a, it's just a pretty song. Yeah, it's a pretty song. Yeah, it's great. So, all right, well, I think we did it. Do we have anything else? No, I think this is it. But for Valentine's Day, make your partner's mouth happy. <laughs> And make their drink happy. And you can take that first part any way you want. You can interpret it just like song lyrics. It's yours. Okay? But I think making your partner's mouth happy means buying them some Lang Ice. Because it's the best ice I mean, how else would you do it? Yes. I mean, come on. Lang Ice, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. All right. Happy Valentine's Day to you. And uh, watch your back. Yes. And watch your ears also. Watch your ears. Listen to some good songs. And be careful of those bobcats. Be careful of the bobcats. And check out our Twitter and Instagram. I will post pictures of the great Bertha uh, who cut off her husband's penis and uh, will send me that Send me your song list. We'll get that posted too oh, yes. so people can right. can check out the song list. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>